Welcome to Rocker Radio. I'm Jason Bryan and you're listening to Well Connected. It was with great pleasure that recently we had the chance to catch up with CEO and owner at Burger Trollet, Pontus Berg. Pontus is a well-known figure in our industry, having worked in mobile operators such as Telia and Oridu and vendors like Beepsend and now Twilio. He has been instrumental in pushing through industry standards and developing new industry initiatives. In his interview, Pontus tells us about his career in telecoms, what lessons he learned, and what's next for the telecoms industry. Some of the challenges are the same, but a number of challenges are new. And then you grow as a person by challenges. I don't want to be in a secure spot and hiding inside my comfort zone or anything. You don't grow if you stay inside your comfort zone. It's a real pleasure to be here with Pontus Berg, a man probably everybody knows in the industry, who is Director of Career Relations for Twilio, that's the right right name, isn't it, Pontus? How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fine, and the honor is all mine, yes. (laughs) Well, Pontus, as I said, is a character that we all know from the industry, and a person I've known for a long time. I mean, we started out as, let's say, roaming buddies in the GSMA world that was. Pontus, can we go back in time a little bit to how you first got into telecoms? So, as a child, obviously, the roles that we have now don't, didn't exist. Right. How did you... What was your first instinct that this is an area that you wanted to get into? That's a really good question. My background is sort of hacking, low-level hacking on old, obsolete computers. With that background, the party on earth you hated the most was the big telcos. They were sort of the opposition. And of course, I joined Telia being the local incumbent in Sweden. (laughs) So my first job was actually as an interconnect lawyer for Telia in Sweden. Really? Yes. But what did you study at university? I'm a lawyer by education. I'm a very geeky one, but my formal background is actually law. I did have a bit of, before it was uh, IT, it was called ADB in Swedish, and then it converted into IT, and now everybody uses IT as the term for it. But I'm old enough to have studied ADB on the side. I'm sure that's something nobody knows about you, the fact that you trained to be a lawyer. Yeah, I tend to say it, uh, but people are assuming I'm an engineer by yeah. trade, but no, I'm not. And uh, that's also my vision. I found the legal trade rather interesting, but I always wanted to take it to the business. If you have a technical background or a finance background, you're sort of allowed to bring that to the table in the core of the business, whereas lawyers are supposed to have this uh, spontaneous theater called courtrooms or they sit as corporate lawyers in their, locked up in their room with the single objective of saying no to everything. That's, neither of those roles <laughs> seemed appropriate for me. I wanted to bring my backpack yeah. and my background to the core of the business. Right. So okay. I think I've sort of managed that. And if people don't understand that I am actually a lawyer by education, I guess that's still fine. I, it's not the prime thing. It's just part of my legacy that I want to bring to the table uh, and I want to add the technical side of things. Okay. So you started your role in Telia, Sweden. And when was that? 1840, <laughs> no, <laughs> 1994. 1994 was my age. I, I graduated from university. I got work 
I got married and I got my first kid. So you can't wow. stop that during one year, but I did that all through one year. Wow, okay. And so what was your first role in Telia? No, I was Interconnect lawyer. Interconnect was very new. It was Telia mobile, not the, the fixed line, but, but the mobile side. And setting up Interconnect agreements was something we started to do then because that's when the other operators started popping up. And back when it was only Telia Telia, the fixed line operator, there is no need for Interconnect because there is no national Interconnect if they don't have any competition. So when competition arose, that's when you needed Interconnect and that's when you needed somebody to facilitate that. So I did that. Right. So you were working with a director of carrier services or something like that in order to look at how it might all work out agreement-wise between internationally as well. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the main role was nationally, so I was sort of the account manager and it wasn't wholesale as a role or a concept, wasn't really refined. So the interconnect department and the roaming department sat next to each other and they, we yeah. were separate departments, but... Uh, this was still when we were offering NMT and all of that, and GSM, MOU was still memorandum. memorandum. It was the Gulup Special de Mobile before GSM exactly. became something else. So it's well, you're, you're really showing your age now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm sort of okay with that. I passed the panic about age, so. Yeah, me too, me too. Okay, so did that get you into GSMA? Because it's just a national role. No, uh, Anastasia Christophers, who was the roaming manager on the later part, she was the one going to the barge meetings. I, since I wasn't in roaming at the time, I didn't have that role. So my first time going to barge meeting was in 2001. And I was roaming manager for Telia in Denmark, uh, starting that business. So that was my first Greenfield launch in 98. But I didn't go to any barge meetings, so the main office, Telia, the Swedish office, represented us as well in the barge meetings. So I should have pushed that, I realize that now, but uh, I didn't, I didn't, so. So you went from representing Telia Sweden to representing the group? So, no, that was Telia Denmark. So Telia Sweden was the main office, and uh, we introduced the... C10 annex, to the, that's very oh, geeky, yeah. to the A14. So you added a, a roaming extension or a network extension. That was sort of a concept we came up with. So TRP, yes. Telia Roaming Platform, was the idea, and we added the annex. So I signed the annex as an attachment to the Swedish contract. So when I was chasing roaming agreements, it was just the, sort of the C10 thing. Uh, and that's what, so I, re I did roaming management for Telia Denmark building the department from scratch. Yeah, we're really talking about innovation in this field now, aren't we? Because essentially, I mean, this is when it all began. This is like when I need this to happen. And so let's go to the GSMA and work out how we can best do that. And, you know, of course, at that time, lots of innovation in the market. So adding to that, this is also totally incomprehensible for today's people, but we had a GSM 1800 networks whereas everybody else had a GSM 900 network. So I was trying to achieve international roaming. We had 5,000 customers, commercially dead. We had patchy coverage of technology that nobody else could use because their handset was single band 900 terminals. So when I wanted to go to T-Mobile Germany, 
everything I could offer them was roaming with my 5,000 customers, which was peanuts for them. It wasn't worthwhile the effort. And in return, I can offer them inbound roaming in a patchy coverage in a technology their customers couldn't use because they didn't have the proper handset to do it. A challenge. Somewhat uphill, somewhat <laughs> uphill. So we were talking about Talia Denmark and your first meeting in your first barge meeting back in... 2001 was... Uh, so what happened after... So the Denmark thing was six months. I was sort of an internal contractor within the Telia group. So Telia Sweden lending me to the new operation in Denmark. I got back, worked a bit with Telia back in Sweden again. And then I decided that I wanted to leave Telia and do something else. And uh, three had just launched or got their license. So I got to join three or HI3G, which the company is formally called in Sweden. And this was in 2001. So my first barge meeting was representing three in 2001. Okay. So that was three Sweden. And we also then got the daughter company in Denmark. So I was roaming manager for three Sweden and Denmark. So these are my number two and number three Greenfield launches. Right. So you started and then you got into let's say the barge and you started to shake things up really because I mean <laughs> having opinions about everything <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no everybody remembers your opinions on th certain things and your voice at the back of the room no but uh, no I think that was needed I mean for sure you know there's not enough people kind of telling it straight I guess that's the Scandinavian way of doing it, <laughs> it uh, it's beating around the bush and uh, I found that very difficult. I'm not a bush beater. <laughs> so what was your goal then in three? What was the task that you wanted? It's the same as I had in Telia Denmark. Establishing roaming footprint for a greenfield operator from zero agreements. And I had the same challenge. The uphill battle was the same as I had in Telia Denmark. Few customers, patchy coverage, <laughs> of a technology that nobody had a handset that supported. So it's exactly the same in Denmark. The stupidity of going into the same challenge again is... <laughs> <laughs> you like that challenge, uh, sure. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I realized it before, but uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I like the challenge, of course. But it makes sense that somebody with your experience at that time, the company knew what it was doing. It was going with somebody who had a reputation in the industry, who people, you know, I mean, we're talking about time not necessarily pre-IoT negotiations, <laughs> IoT in the in kind of interoperator tariff sense, but you know it was a, a different time when yeah, yeah. people were happy to sign agreements on the basis of uh, starting partnerships, starting relationships. I mean, this is a time when re-rating wasn't standard in the industry. People were charging uh, markups based on the IoT that they were receiving. I'm actually old enough to remember the pre-IoT thing, which was called NNT, Normal Network Tariff, where the roaming rate was based on the major subscriber group of an operator. So if you would have your, let's say your corporate customers, the uh, corporate subscription, you were allowed to charge roamers that, plus yeah. 25%, or the roamers home operator. And then IoT detached the tie between your own uh, retail rate and the wholesale rate. It seems to me that for three, 
what was your goal then, just to get more roaming agreements to establish that? And on behalf of the group, or was it a group structure at that time, or was it more independent? No, I did Sweden and Denmark. I signed everything for Sweden and Denmark. We had group coordination, so in the latter part of my stay at 3, we did have synchronized IoT discount agreements. So somebody, let's say Finland, was as a country that Swedes are really interested in having discounted roaming in, where it's not as important for the others. But they would be happy to tag along if we in Sweden drove the IoT negotiation with the Finnish operators. And the same for other destinations. Uh, UK drove the discount uh, negotiations with France on behalf of the group. But initially it was very independent, but we still became a quite tight team because we helped out. But there was no formality around it. It was more informal. Very mm. special period of my life. These are all very good friends. Yeah, this is certainly the nature of the industry is that you know, people make a special bond. Yeah and they, they help each other out with situations. Of course, that dynamic changed a bit with the IoT negotiations and deal-making and all that kind of thing, where you had to start negotiating hard with uh, somebody who'd been a colleague. Fair enough. First of all, I must say that the roaming industry is special in a way where, because most roaming people are sort of alien in their own organization. Everything is targeted towards the retail customer, so that's the entire focus. If you work with wholesale, you are one of those aliens nobody understands. People understand that it's somehow needed, but they don't really understand why within the telco world. I've always felt a stronger bond with people I meet who has the same role as I have within other telcos than with my colleagues back in the office. Right. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And also coming to these events where you're in a location far away and you're being taken for special dinners and there's a, certainly a bond that develops. So following three in Sweden and your work there, what was the next step? Because there's always another chapter with you, yeah, isn't yeah, of there? Course, of course. I'm more the revolution guy than the evolution guy and <laughs> when the manager I reported to had this epiphany of, uh, is it called Kaizen? The gradual improvement thing. Oh, yeah. When you work with the sandpaper with the finest grains, ah, okay. that's when I realized I need to get out. This, cannot, <laughs> this is unsustainable. There are no revolutions if you work with the sandpaper with the finest grains. Okay. So, so I went to work for a company called CNET and we did a GSM coverage on cruise ships and ferries. 12 people company, really dynamic, really special and we didn't have any retail business so I was basically the CCO or because the money in all came from roaming. Inbound roaming was the source of revenue but awesome. we went bust so it's a short story but it was very interesting and very very educational I must say. I learned a lot especially about radio coverage that I didn't know before. So That's really interesting because to go from such a big company to such a small company and to take on a, a major role in that company. Yeah. And then you said it went bust yeah. because of the dynamics of maritime roaming. The big challenge with that segment is that everybody's doing re-rating and if you look at the, the thresholds that they have, they make, or operators, I did it with three of myself, so you had like the Nordics, the rest of Europe, and then you have other. And in the very, very end, you have satellite and other stinking expensive destinations, right? The bucket of crap that costs a lot. Yeah. 
we wanted being a, a believer that there is at least some sort of elasticity here in pricing I wanted to ensure that people get access to this coverage at reasonable cost. It should be more expensive because it's more expensive to actually make it. And there is also revenue share with a ship owner that wants a piece of the pie. But it became silly. This $6 per minute kind of pricing, that's silly. Nobody wants that. Yeah. They can only do that if they do it accidentally. And nobody should build their business on accidental usage. Right. So we had an IoT discount scheme where we offered IoT discount in exchange for retail reductions. Right. We would like you to pass this saving on to the customer. We don't give you an IoT discount to deepen your pockets. Yes. We're doing it to increase usage. And that was very challenging because a number of operators then said that the, the relation between IoT and retail, we don't control that. Somebody else sets the retail rate. We just want the lowest rate and you shouldn't care about what we do with it in the retail. I think that's sort of a thing. It's too expensive and that prevents usage. usage so. And due to its nature, of course, maritime and aeronautical bombing is not typically regulated as is other traffic because it's non-terrestrial. Right, there is no regulatory authority. The only regulated part is the spectrum, the radio spectrum when you get closer to the border and all of that. Yeah. But uh, if you are on international water, there is no body that can tell you the, the maximum thing. And yeah, it's a really tough one because there's also a few pockets to fill there as well. Mm -hmm. There's the satellite operator, the shipping company or the airline, that kind of thing. So. You're full of the challenging ones, right? So <laughs> <laughs> That one seemingly became too big because the company went bust. That's sort of the first on that one. So during the bankruptcy, I became the office manager. So I had one engineer making sure the system was still running, and I had the clerk that had to do the lookup in the finance system, answering the administrator of the bankruptcy. And then I just sat there doing basically nothing for three months. Yeah, you don't want to do that. I don't recommend that role to anyone. But what was it like? I mean, we're all working in companies where to get roaming agreements is one thing, but to be in a company that goes bankrupt, what happens to those roaming agreements? Or what happened to the legacy, let's say? They are in a drawer now, formally. The company was bought by Wins, which is a company in Malta. You know them. So. Yes. And I don't think they use them for anything. I think they are collaborating with Vodafone Malta, and I think Vodafone Malta roaming agreements apply there. So there is a, network, a maritime network extension for Vodafone Malta, yes. which I think is used yeah. for all those ships. So I established a few hundred roaming agreements, and they are in a drawer somewhere, which is a bit depressing. A number of years of my life <laughs> into a drawer. That's no, but these things teach us something, and you, like you said, you learned a lot from the experience. Yeah, for sure. So what was the next step? So this is where I slid into the messaging business. So I did consultancy for Ericsson IPX. It's a silly name for a company because if you ask anybody at the barge or was meeting what that is, an IPX is the evolution of a GRX. Yes. No, but this is internet payment exchange. That was sort of what they wanted oh, to okay. do. It had nothing to do with that. And they thought the name was excellent and I thought it was, yeah, that might not be the best name for that kind of business. But So what's the internet payment exchange? It's an ATP aggregator that was the key business, but they also did the premium SMS when you order something and it costs you five bucks for ordering this thing yeah. and you pay using for the fee for an SMS. Right. 
So I did the same as I do today for Twilio. I tried to establish direct operator relations for terminating ATP messages. And so that company was called IPX? Ericsson IPX. Ericsson. And then they were bought by Gemalto, key producers of SIM card. Yeah. Gemalto already owned a company called NetSize, so they fusioned the IPX and the NetSize and found, and the new name was NetSize for the entire business. So I was there for uh, yeah, 18 months in total, sat on the same chair, but were rebranded, still doing the same work. And yeah. So you were working for Gemalto at yes. that time? Yes. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? What was this company? Next question. <laughs> no, it's French management, and there are certain management styles that you are more in sync with. Mm. One of the things I can say without putting any value into it was that everybody in the Gemalto management team had been with the company more than 20 years. Right. For me that says that your sort of new influences is not your focus. The other thing is that they had a policy, if you once quit, you were not welcome back in. Mm. When I resigned from other jobs, my bosses always said, it's been a pleasure having you here. Go out, play, learn more stuff, and then bring that back in when in, in a few years. Great. And I think that's the kind of spirit I'm also adopting. And I think this, uh, if you're out, you're an enemy of ours and you're not welcome back. I think that's non-sustainable way of doing business, but, but they are doing good. So I'm not saying it doesn't work for them, no, no. but it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. So you left Gemalto. Yes, they terminated the contract because they didn't see the additional value of direct operator relations. So they didn't need me anymore. And from there, uh, I took the biggest leap. I went to Myanmar to become roaming manager for Rido in Myanmar. I'm not even sure that most people know where Myanmar is. Uh, a number of people will still call it Burma. <laughs> ah, yeah. Formally, that's not the name. And, and if I can dwell on that a bit. Yeah. Burma comes from Bamar, which is the main population in the country. Whereas Myanmar is supposed to be a name that encompasses all the ethnicities in the country. Oh, right. I try to be consistent saying Myanmar to embrace all the ethnicities. So that was for Oridu? That was for Oridu, yeah. And your role there? Doing roaming, Yeah. <laughs> as back, always. Back to roaming? Back to roaming, yes. yes. And of course, another Startup? Yes, yes. So that will be number five then. <laughs> yes, it is. So the CEO was Chris Bannister, who was the CEO back at three in Sweden. So uh, I did have a connection with him, and, and I also know his then wife. And I saw that Lova was in Myanmar, and I knew about the new licenses. By any chance, yeah. working for an operator there, I would be most interested in joining you. And then Chris got back, and uh, I also, one of my old colleagues, Irfan from 3 in Denmark, works for Redo Group, so I mailed both of them. And then I was connected back to Obeid, who is the, now the chief strategy officer of uh, Redo Global Services. And the first time I was in touch with Obeid, he was a TADIC tester for one of the Pakistani networks. So again, long term, long, long, long time friend and uh, long relations. and. Uh, Building trust over decades, is, I yeah, was given the opportunity, and it's fantastic. Very, very far away from the family, but a fantastic country, and I loved basically every minute of it. So you moved out there and 
completely started the role from there? It wasn't any yeah. remote kind of work? No, there was absolutely nothing. Site. Absolutely nothing. Everything from total scratch. Wow. Yeah, that's how I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chris Bannister, when we launched 3 in Sweden, one of the things he said was, we don't have any legacy. And for people new to the telco industries, yeah, that's a nice saying. Right. But then I'm calling Jacob moved back to Tele2 and they wanted to do roaming steering. So they wanted to update the SIM card. And he suddenly realized that the big portion of the SIM fleet didn't have OTA. Mm. So that is the nature of legacy. Suddenly you can't do anything. Not everything is possible because there are historical restrictions to things. Yeah. But in Myanmar you started everything from scratch. So yes. how yes. was that? Because the other tasks that you did were, let's say, in cultures you understood. How was it like to work with the local people on such a project? First of all, the roaming role is very external. I worked little with local people. Okay. Also, most of the people in the organizations were expats like myself. So they were Brits and Swedes and Germans and, and what have you not. So a lot of spoiled white men in the same community. <laughs> and, and The uh, expat community. Yeah. But I did yeah. recruit, so I did have a Tadic tester from Philippines, I did have uh, an Iric tester from Cambodia, and then the roaming coordinator was one where I could recruit locally. Right. And we have a special bond, she still calls me dad. So oh really? Yeah. So, how was that experience? It's totally fantastic. Everybody should have the opportunity of reevaluating life by seeing it from a totally different perspective. It's so rewarding being somewhere totally different and seeing things from a totally different perspective. It's, it's massively rewarding. I'm also very fortunate to be in Myanmar before it's spoiled by tourism and uh, development and the cynicism of the world. It was, so innocent. The population was so innocent to cynicism of the world. It was, if I would bring up my wallet and drop cash, somebody would pick it up, chase me and give it to me and I, I would refuse to take any money for doing that for me. Yeah. Was, everybody was so kind, so polite and, and if you heard anything there are issues in the northwest and also a bit in the northeast but Yangon is a fantastic city. I, I loved every minute of it and every square foot of it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you miss it, actually. I do, I do, I do indeed. Yeah, I mean, I had my own uh, experience of, let's say, a startup. It's a really nice feeling to kind of have a target you yeah. want to achieve as a team to, and to go after that. These are the kind of projects you want, really. Build a team, everything is possible. Yeah. Revolutions rather than evolutions. Uh, yeah chain source rather than sandpaper. But also the concept of not really having a lot of legacy politics, yeah. people who don't get on along with each other, people who are kind of like poo-pooing certain ideas, mm. they're kind of like everybody's in the same direction, yeah. we have to achieve yeah. this. So, yeah, that's a nice feeling. So how long were you in Myanmar? Seven months, that was right. same as Italian Denmark, seven months, setting things up handing it over to Jesper Schlitzkruhl to take it on. Uh, yeah. And by the way, he is uncle to the local employee. <laughs> so I'm dad, yeah. but he's uncle. Right. Yeah, you, you guys certainly have a good bond. Yeah. <laughs> so what was next after Oridu? 
And then I got back doing my own consultancy thing again, and I signed up with two companies at the same time. First of all, number six, Borderlight. We're setting up a mobile network providing mainly to the public sector. They have a framework agreement with the government so they can offer services to the public sector. So we are setting up a mobile network that should be launched anytime soon. And then I also signed with local ATP provider Beepsend, who got acquired by Twilio a year ago. So I remember the days of Beepsend. I remember going to meetings with you in Mexico. Yeah. And the beeps and... Yes. Yeah. There was a nice... uh, Everybody should have a beep. If they don't have a beep, let me know. And (laughs) I think we have like 50,000 more, so... Oh my God. (laughs) Really, that was a nice way. You really helped them, I think, to bring their brand into this little club that we have, you know, the growing and interconnect world that we work in. So how was that? What was your goal there? I was the guy that went to meet operators, <laughs> and I'm sure I got uh, some sort of title that had director in it, but... Uh, it didn't matter. No, it, it's a company of 40 people where uh, like 10 people work in the central core of it. One is, of course, the routing and, and taking care of ensuring that traffic works, so that's one part of the business, but bringing in new business or improving the reach to the world was sort of what I did. And that's perfect size for a company. It has very few of the rigid structures and all of that for the major corporations. I'm, again, I'm revolution, not evolution. And that's a context where you can make revolutions, where things matter. I signed up with, of course, Sorido in Myanmar, and we suddenly got a reach to all three operators via national offnet. And we were the first one to provide that. So we had exploding traffic to Myanmar. Well. So I, I sort of paid my consultancy bill for the first year. That was covered by the Myanmar deal. So it's, uh, it's, all, it's all about connections, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, right. Because then you have somebody to ask. No, but I think that having had all these different roles that you've had over yeah. your career is, you know, it says two things to me. It says, the first thing it says that you're not the kind of person who wants to stay in the same office, within the same company, doing the same thing for security reasons, let's say. And the other thing is that it helps you to expand your network. It helps you to grow and diversify your skills and your network. So going to a new role, some of the challenges are the same, but a number of challenges are new. And then you grow as a person by challenges. I don't want to be in a secure spot and hiding inside my comfort zone or anything. You don't grow if you stay inside your comfort zone. And again, going to Myanmar is a bit outside of most people's comfort zone. But yeah. for me, it was like, yeah. <laughs> so Beepsend, like you now mentioned, a very well-established HP SMS provider. A new area for you? I mean, you'd worked for the IPX company on something related to SMS in the past, but was it challenging? Yes and no. It's a different thing. Roaming was more structured and you had the AA12 and AA13, so there were templates provided by the GSM Association. So one of the things I did inside the scope of Beepsend was doing the AA60 into something that was an interworking agreement for SMS, but distinguishing between person-to-person SMS and application-to-person SMS. So that was something I drove. And I also had a presentation, I think it was in Cancun, 
interestingly enough, a number of new people searched the InfoCenter for information on ATP and they got the AS60 and found my name there yeah. and got uh, or the presentation or got my name from there. So I have received inbound requests. Could you elaborate more on this? Right. And, and of course, so the educational part of me, both my parents are teachers, so it's huh. <laughs> that, that comes sort of naturally to stand on near a whiteboard drawing things and how things work. I like to share what I know and uh, that's what I do on LinkedIn as well. So, yeah. uh, and we did receive a number of inbound requests from that piece of work. So the A60 absolutely paid off. But it's down to the fact that of who you are, really, because it was only probably you who could come from that industry and know the structure of the GSMA well enough to put that into place. I'm quite surprised, actually, how few operator people work in the ATP industry. People come from other sides and they try to interact with the mobile industry without having representation from there. And uh, I'm not saying I'm the only one. Tom Poste used to work for one of the competitors as well. But uh, yeah. it, it is surprisingly few, especially now that roaming is getting more competitive and the number are regulated. And the downsizing of roaming department makes available a number of highly skilled people that could be extracted by people like the ATP industry, but seemingly, no. I can't understand why you don't want to do that. I have a feeling about the fact that roaming is something that's still going. It feels comfortable still. I mean, okay, it's not making the revenues that it was making before, but taking a leap of faith in something like ATP, SMS, when, well, people associate SMS with, you know, something that's going to die away, mm. and they think of ATP providers well, I was just managing SMS, but of course this is a growing area mm -hmm. and it's also diversifying to mobile engagement and all kinds of new communication channels. There will always be a next thing. So if you work in a company that has one focus area, you can still grow. If you look at Twilio, ATP is a little portion of what we do. The main Twilio offering is still the relation with the developer community. Yeah. Providing an API set so you can make your own app communication enabled via an easy interface and then we take care of the plumbing work in the back and if that is voice SMS RCS fax or whatever new service there is that is plumbing work for us to take care of empowering developers to bring that to the market we invent the tool set they build the house with the tool set we give them so I think that's for me the most enjoying part of being with Twilio now that uh, providing the tool set and making sure everything works in the backside. Can you talk to us about, um, you know, onto Twilio yep. specifically now, can you talk to us about beyond ATP SMS, you know, there are a number of trends going on, circulating chatbots, RCS. Yep. What are your feelings on these trends? Is it overhyped? Is it something that's actually a legitimate new business going to compete with SMS? Or? So, First of all, OTTs were saying to kill SMS. That didn't happen. It took a big slice of the P2P, but A2P, it's still second to none when it comes to reaching customers because it's always there, 100% penetration. Yeah. You cannot deny receiving an SMS, and there is no way you can uninstall the SMS client from most phones. So, SMS is 100% penetration and 
you can't get any stronger USP than that, 100% penetration. Mm. If you look at the Vibers, the WhatsApp, the uh, Facebook messengers, or what have you not, the Limes and the WeChats, these are isolated islands without any peering or interconnect between them. So if you want to provide something that terminates to that community, you need to sign agreements with all of them. And yeah. you need to find the least common denominator of the message that is supported by each of the platform. And that becomes really complex. SMS is so much easier. RCS, let's say that MMS failed. Um, it's, it's, doesn't really work internationally. I know that there are hubs supporting that, but I still struggle sending MMSs internationally. I wouldn't send a picture via MMS when I have an OTT opportunity. But RCS yeah. has the potential. It's yet to prove itself. I think it's interesting. Most of my operator meetings, there is like a 30-minute chat on the business. And then the more informal portion in the end, the more social sharing of information. The first question is, well, what do you think of RCS? Are you uh, going to do it? Or yeah. could you share any insights from RCS? So I strongly believe that RCS has a strong chance of establishing itself because it's not an OTT, it's driven by operator. But of course, you need all the big groups in there. You also need Apple. Otherwise, the penetration in the handset market is still very, very far from the 100%. Mm. So it boils down to Apple and the major groups. How likely is it that Apple are going to uh, adopt this, especially when they have their own yeah. Apple Messenger solution? If you asked me six months ago, I would say, mm. if you ask me today, mm -hmm. possibly, yeah. yeah, possibly, yes. There have been indications or yeah. that even at the end of this year there might be something happening there. So, But it will be competing with the iMessage and I don't use iOS myself but FaceTime and iMessage. So there is a competition there but for the interconnection with the Android community and other communities I think they would eventually also hop on the bandwagon. Yeah, it's not like Apple to do something that they don't lead, but yeah. I can imagine they might have to comply with something if it's big enough. Yeah, they support voice and they support SMS. If this is a fundamental bearer service provided by the operator that they want implemented in the handset that they sell to the end users, the requirement will come also from the operator community, not only from their users and other providers. So. But of course, it's a bit intimidating for Apple that Google is sort of driving the RCS initiative. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the discussions one can have on GDPR and RCS mm. and Google. So the, the visibility that they have over the ecosystem is quite large. So. Yeah, significant indeed. And any view on chatbots? For me, that's sort of overhyped. On my nerdy past, we used IRC, Internet Relay Chat. That was the chat protocol back in when Fred Flintstone was still roaming the streets. <laughs> and we did have bots. Uh, so yeah. they managed the channel. So bots have been around for a long time. And it's just how smart they are and what kind of channels they're working in. Human interaction still beats everything. But, but there are places for automation, including bots. Is it right that? I can call a chatbot 
artificial intelligence? No, I don't think so. It's a different level of stupidity. <laughs> I do have my Google Home and I do a bit of talking to it, but uh, if that is the smartest there is, they have a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's not quite artificial intelligence as some people see it. But what's it like working for Twilio? I mean, it's not a Swedish company, you're part of the Swedish arm of Twilio. Oh. What's the feeling of the company internally? First of all, it's coming from the carrier side. We are sort of a cost center and I'm further from the business. Sorry for being problematic or for being problem oriented here, but first of all, it's a fantastic company. It's growing like crazy. It has all the visibility and associating yourself with a brand that visible in the press is always super. And yeah. they're all very, very attentive to the personnel with uh, sodas in the fridges. So they're really taking care of their stuff, I must say. As far as I know, again, I'm a consultant, so uh, I don't have a few of the benefits, but I know that all personnel get equity for also for showing that you are actually physically a part of this company. And I think that's also a brilliant strategy in relation to your employees to have that loyalty and bond towards the brand. So very strong in that and diversity. There is a web page or part of the internet where you can type in the pre-noun that you would like to be announced with, if yeah. you are him or her or whatever you like to be called. So uh, very aware on that and also taking political stance, uh, your <laughs> little <laughs> Trump thing. It's, uh, I think they've taken quite a strong political stance in many areas and I think that's also not very corporate but I think it's heartwarming that somebody stands out and want to take a fight towards silly systems, also beyond the core of the business. Yeah. But it's an American company, it has the legal department of an American company, so everything is very thorough in that aspect, whereas the rest is very much a very, very big startup company with 1,000 people in quite small teams doing everything at the same time. So. Coming from the telco world, where everything is super coordinated, that's not here. So if you're uncomfortable with things not being super coordinated, then you would really get stressed inside Twilio. Okay. But for me, it's, it's like a small company that is rather big, so uh, I, I appreciate that part of it. It certainly has a really cool brand and uh, seems to be yeah, growing in a lot of respect, I would say, in the industry. So, uh, Pontus, based on the fact that you know you started out in law, yeah, <laughs> and you went to Telia, any regrets? Did you make the right decision entering into the telecoms world? Absolutely. First of all, I never look back thinking what I should have done differently because yeah. everything you do, everything you can change, is here and now. That will have effect forward-looking. Nothing will ever change what happened in the past. So if you spend your life looking backwards, not looking forward, you will bump into new stuff going forward because you're actually going forward but looking backwards. So yeah. I'm not going to slander my mom here, but that's sort of where the approach she has taken, regretting things from the past, making new mistakes here that has effect on the future. I don't do that. I've seen the bad example. I don't want to do that. So. Mm. Here and now, I love 
most aspects of my life is absolutely fine. I'm here with you. Yeah. What else is there? So it's, <laughs> it's amazing to be constantly going to new meetings and meeting new faces and, yeah. and this kind of thing is wonderful. So I strive from human interaction and if you yeah. do that, and especially human interaction with people from multiple cultures, that's widening your perspective. I'd like not to be narrow-minded and uh, it's very difficult to be narrow-minded in a population here of 1,000 people from, I don't know, 150 countries or speaking like 200 different languages. How can you be narrow-minded in that context? It's absolutely impossible. Can I ask you about social media? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you're very active on the social media side. Well, yeah. uh, and opinionated and like to strike up the conversation. Yeah, yeah. What about Facebook? It seems to me that if you speak to the new generation, I'm not talking about millennials now, I'm talking about the new generation, mm. they don't want to use Facebook. Mm. That's for old people. What do you feel about that? We all find our forums, and we don't want to be in the forums where our parents are, or even grandparents yeah. are. So I think it's more that. I think when people grow up, they will all have Facebook. <laughs> I try most new social media things. I don't get Snapchat. I don't see any point in my messaging being there only for 24 hours. There is absolutely no point whatsoever for making funny faces, but I don't need a special service to make funny faces. <laughs> I really yeah. don't, so. Yeah. But Facebook has established itself. It's proven that it can evolve, add new features, attract new users. So. The theory is correct that the value of a network is times two of the number of connected nodes, then Facebook's value is immense. So yeah. everybody is there. So uh, Yeah, they're certainly continuing to innovate and, and expand their group, let's say. So based on your experience in telecoms, what would you say to somebody who's entering into telecoms for the first time? What should they be aware of? They missed the golden days. <laughs> Oh. No, but roaming used to be more fun. Everything that is regulated, everything that becomes more into strict and rigid processes, then you become a small cogwheel. And uh, the room to innovate is less now. Telecom is absolutely fantastic, but uh, if you want to pioneer new or find new territories, there is quite little left in telecoms that would be of super interest. So if you are the revolutionary guy rather than the evolutionary guy, then telecom might not be for you. There are so many internet-related stuffs where you can still revolutionize. And that is also some sort of telecommunication. But if you're talking the old operator community, my general feeling is that we will revert back to bit pipes and we should be happy about being bit pipes. It's a fine and steady revenue. It's not going to happen that much, but evolution and revolution will happen elsewhere. Last question. What personally interests you about telecoms right now in terms of what's going on in telecoms today and about the future? The development of 5G 
for me, that's just an evolution of technology. It's still the same, it's only faster, and it's going to support new services. Video will be faster, higher resolution, and all of that. But it's still the same thing, it's only faster. So for me, that's okay, yeah, let the engineers do that. That has very little commercial implications, or it doesn't add any fun to anything. Yeah. New services, RCS, that's sort of interesting. And the evolution of IoT, that still has a lot of potential and let's see where that ends and I want to be involved in that and I'm doing a bit of that for Twilio as well. Of course I have a little finger in the RCS thing yeah. as well. So, But RCS and IoT, those are the two development areas where I see that the telco world can still innovate and provide something that would interest me for a number of years still. Anything else you'd like to say Pontus? Like, no, just Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be with Pontus, somebody I personally admire in the industry for many years, and it's really good to get to know you a bit better. So thanks very much for this, Pontus. Without getting my nose brown, very much <laughs> likewise. Thanks, Pontus. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series in the coming weeks. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan, and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocker Radio. Mm-hmm.